I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. I'm joined by the draft dummies, and we're going to be looking at the Celtics draft picks. Who's going to be the best fit in what position? What pick will it take to get the player? And hopefully we'll get some names we haven't heard. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, so... My name's Cody, and my co-host uh, with us today is Sam, and uh, we're the host of the Draft Dummies show, and we just like to cover a bunch of the prospects, a lot of the guys that aren't hyped as much, so if you want to check us out uh, wherever you get your podcasts or on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel, uh, we provide a lot of very detailed analysis of the draft prospects and some of the teams and uh, what they need. So the way we're going to be doing this, and we spoke about this a little bit before we came on air, you guys are going to have a really clear picture of what players are going to produce in what systems and what they're going to be able to do, whether that be starting or coming off the bench. So what we'll, how we'll run this is go position by position, and then you can kind of tell me what players in that position you think could elevate the Celtics, what pick you'd be expecting them to kind of be selected with to fall to. And then kind of then then nuances, what are they really going to be able to do down the stretch of a game? Are we expecting to see them be high rotation players or spot minute guys? We kick it off with point guard. Yeah, for sure. So we're especially excited to talk about the Celtics because right now they've got three picks to be taken in the first round at 17, 26 and 30 in terms of what the projections are right now. And so starting with point guard, uh, my a guy that I am way higher on than the consensus, and I think Cody is right there with me, is Kyra Lewis out of Alabama. So he's currently projected to go somewhere in the 12 to 20 range, but to give some perspective, he's going to finish in the top five or six on my board. I'm that high on him. And the reason why is it's a couple different reasons. So number one, he's coming off his sophomore season at the at Alabama, but he is still younger than most all freshmen. And in fact, he was so young as a freshman that he was not even eligible to enter into the draft. And he is one of the fastest players in college basketball, incredible speed uh, end to end with the basketball in his hands. And combine that speed and athleticism with a really solid frame at six, three and a half with a plus four wingspan. He's got the physical tools and the age that you look for in a player. But Cody, what else do you like about Kyra? Well, I think Kyra is very enticing. Uh, also because of his shooting ability, he did flash uh, some abilities to shoot off the pull-up and also to shoot the three ball, which is pretty much becoming an absolute necess- necessity for a point guard in the NBA. And we don't know if Kyra will be there at 17. Uh, I've seen lots of boards with him really high, like Sam and I, and I've also seen some where he's in the 20s but if the Celtics could get a guy like Lewis to uh, play that backup point guard role that they have Wanamaker in right now I think Lewis can be uh, a big upgrade and not only that he's going to better fit the timeline with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum while Kemba kind of finishes out these years of his contract he's 30 years old so I think Lewis would be a great fit for them Uh, I think defensively he's got a lot of promise and he's got some uh, very good creation skills too. While he's not as high level of a passer as a ball or Hayes or Halliburton, uh, he splashed some great ability of getting downhill and uh, creating offense from nothing. 
So he's definitely a guy that Sam and I would love to see on the Celtics and playing in a great system uh, with Brad Stevens and the other guys. So the Celtics are quite guard heavy at the moment in their rotations. You've got Kemba Walker, you've got Marcus Smart, and then Brad Wanamaker, Trey Mark Waters, Carson Edwards. Do you see Kyra Lewis coming in and beating out the competition to be running the second unit alongside Marcus Smart? Do you feel he's got that level of ability coming straight in from the draft? I do. I think he can come in right away. But another positive aspect of his game that we kind of touched on is his versatility. So he ranked basically in the 90th percentile in catch and shoot situations this year. And he's he's 6'4", right? So he does have the ability to play off the ball right now. So you can pair him with, you know, a Hayward or a Marcus Smart who can handle the ball a bit more, uh, you know, when Kemba Walker uh, is on the bench. So combine, you know, that playmaking plus the versatility to play off the ball. And that makes him very useful. And I do think three, four years from now, I think he does have the potential to be a starting point guard, uh, no doubt in my mind. So I, I do like his fit now. And I think like Cody said, he fits the timeline that the Celtics are on right now. If you was to look at players around the league already, or players like forefathers, players that have played in the league and have now since moved on or have retired, can you give us a comparison to what you're expecting Kyra Lewis to be in terms of play type? Is there another player you most assimilate him with? Yeah, because of his speed, he does get a little bit of the De'Aaron Fox comparison. Uh, Colin Sexton, also out of Alabama, is another guy I've heard uh, where he is a downhill playmaker. He was great in transition this year in uh, the upper echelon of the uh, efficiency. And so you think more of those speed guards, but what I think can set Kyra Lewis apart is the off-ball shooting that he provides, the catch-and-shoot unguarded, and uh, the spot-ups. And I know Colin Sexton has uh, been a much better shooter than advertised too. So kind of a guy like that. I actually like Lewis just as much as De'Aaron Fox heading in. Lewis has shown a lot more uh, promise shooting the ball at the same age. Uh, but he he does have, you know, a long way to go. And he's certainly not as highly touted as Fox was at the same time. But I think those are kind of the comparisons uh, that are being thrown around and similarities uh, that you can see in Lewis. Another one that comes to mind for me going back a couple of years now would be maybe like 115% of Darren Collison or like a rich man's Darren Collison. That's kind of another comp that comes to mind. But yeah, just a really fast point guard who can also shoot and play make in pretty decent size. When I think of really fast point guards that can shoot, I always go straight to John Wall. Do you see any of John Wall in Kyra Lewis? Is their play type very similar? Do they get to the rack as does Lewis get to the rack as much as John Wall does? He does get to the rack as much. I would say the difference is that he is not the vertical athlete that that John Wall is, and probably not that De'Aaron Fox is either. And he's not quite as strong at this point uh, as John Wall is either. Okay, so do you have any other guards on your list? Or is Kyra Lewis, if, you, if the Celtics are picking a guard, they find a way to get him? Yeah, if he drops to 17, I know for Sam and I, that would be a no-brainer. And we would think that uh, Danny Ainge would have Kyra Lewis on his short list there, uh, again, if he drops. Another guard that uh, we really like, and Sam especially likes, is Grant Riller. Uh, he is a scoring combo guard, kind of gives a little CJ McCollum type uh, vibes coming from a smaller school. 
and uh, he just is a pure hooper and can get buckets and I'll kind of let Sam fill you in on him. Yeah, so to me, Grant Riller is probably the best three-level scorer in the draft, and he's been my favorite prospect to watch in the draft so far, and that's because kind of the C.J. McCollum vibes that Cody was talking about, he's got such advanced footwork. He is elite at the step back and the sidestep, just is a tough shot taker and tough shot maker, but then on top of all of that, he's he was the best finishing guard in college basketball this year, finishing at a ridiculous clip, over 70% at the rim this year. So he's a 6'3 guard. He's kind of a combo guard. He took on more playmaking responsibilities as a senior this year. So he is a bit older. He's a four-year player at a mid-major school. But the scoring that he brings at all three levels is the best that there is in the draft this year. And what pick would you be looking at using? So he's well, been he's been mocked more in the early second round, and I personally would take him higher than that. So you could probably get him at either of those uh, draft picks that the Celtics have late in the first round. Yeah, I would agree with that. From what we've seen, it seems like he's not going to be middle of the first round guy. He's going to drop late first uh, or into the second round. Uh, he is a little bit older, four-year player. So a lot of people don't like that. And he is a little undersized at 6'3". I mean, the Celtics like going undersized. So uh, I'm fine with that. And you're saying he can attack all three levels and he's probably the best prospect in the draft. What's his playmaking like and what's he like on defense? So in terms of playmaking, he didn't take on as much playmaking responsibility until his senior year. And it was it was a mixed bag, I'd say. But I, I think he's a good passer. And it's important to note that he was often double teamed and had so much attention paid to him being the best player on a, a pretty bad team in college. And he also brings a ton of scoring gravity, right? So wherever he is on the court, you have to pay attention to him. He's such a good scorer at all three levels that he automatically has that gravity that is paid to him. And that opens up opportunities for his teammates. So I'd say playmaking, that's still kind of TBD. We'll see how that plays out at the next level. Kind of a comp for him would be maybe like a bit of a Lou Williams type to be your first guard to come in and score off the bench. And that kind of leads us into the defense because Lou Williams is not a good defensive guard. And Grant Riller was, he was not great defensively. He, you know, wasn't super engaged, I'd say, but a lot of that could be due to the fact that he had to carry such a high, he had to carry basically the whole offense on his back, right? And so you can kind of give him the pass there. He has shown good hands and he has good anticipation and he's strong for his size. But, you know, you can only be so great defensively at 6'3". Um, I guess Marcus Smart would have something to say about that, but we'll see. I, definitely his scoring is his upside, the ability to come in and fill it up off the bench. We'll see at the next level uh, how the defense and the playmaking turn out, but still a question mark at this point. And that's why he's going late first, early second. Yeah, and to bring up McCollum again, I kind of got some vibes defensively in that they're not great point of attack defenders, uh, but Riller, he is pretty quick and he's stout and he has really good hands when he wants to. Uh, McCollum's the same way. Uh, I know Blazers fans know how great McCollum is at stripping and blocking uh, on fast breaks for being only 6'3", 6'4". And 
So Riller, he's got some tools, uh, but yeah, he was not engaged in college, like Sam said, and that is probably due to being a fourth-year player on a pretty bad team when he's carrying the offense on the other end. And do you feel like he would be able to sustain a 10- to 15-minute role straight off the bat, or is he going to be more of a project that's being sent down to Maine for large stretches of time? I think Sam and I would agree that he's a plug-and-play guy. He is already so skilled and so advanced on the offensive end that I think he could step into any system. And he has some NBA uh, abilities. He was 97th percentile out of the pick and roll. So he can do some uh, ball handling duties to give Kemba a rest. And then uh, Sam touched on the shooting and the catch and shooting. And uh, he, he's not afraid to put up a lot of threes. So he has a very, very NBA uh, ready shot profile. Yeah, I think he can come in and average 12, 13 points off points a game off the bench for a playoff team right away. And again, I'm a little higher on him than the consensus, but he he is definitely a guy that's ready to contribute right away for a playoff team. Be interested to see if he's still available, especially with that 26 pick. Yeah, I, I think he will be. I think it's from all the mocks I've been looking at. And the thing is with this draft is that at the top, it's so weak, right? And that's kind of the focus, but there is a good amount of depth in this draft. So that, you know, picks 20 through 60 that it's pretty solid compared to most drafts and so a guy like Riller especially him being older you know having played four years in college as well as one year recovery from an ACL injury he is a guy that just due to that age concern could slide but to me he's no doubt a for he's worthy of a first round pick so I would be stoked if he if he did slide to that end of the first round if the Celtics were able to pick him up there that would be outstanding value in my mind. So then we move on to two guards. Have you got any two guards on your list that would be possibilities for the Celtics? Yeah, I'll start with one that I am, again, pretty high on. And he is projected to go anywhere in the middle of the first round, but that is Aaron Neesmith out of Vanderbilt. And so he only played 14 games this year in what was his sophomore season at Vanderbilt due to a foot injury that he sustained, but through 14 games, he was basically having the greatest shooting season in college basketball history. That's not even really an overstatement. He was shooting the three at a 53% clip and taking over eight a game. And he's not just like a JJ Redick or just a guy that's just a shooter. He is 6'6 with a 6'10 wingspan and a decent athlete as well. I think he's getting understated in how, in just the frame that he has in his overall athleticism. Um, He does lack a bit in terms of playmaking for others and his defense was certainly a mixed bag. But if you're telling me that you're getting one of the top two shooters in the draft that has that frame at 6'6", 6'11", with that potential, to me, that's certainly worthy of a top 10 to 15 pick. And I've seen him anywhere uh, in the teens. So being there at 17, I'd say Probably less than a 50% chance, but if he's there, I think that would be another solid pick for the Celtics. And when you're saying he's one of the best shooters in in the college league, playing as a two-guard, he needs to be able to operate on the catch and shoot, and then hopefully we can see him scoring off the cut as well. What was his? Have you seen his synergy profile, I'm assuming? Yeah, I have. His synergy profile in terms of shooting is <laughs> pretty pretty insane. So... He averaged uh, 1.969 points per possession on unguarded catch-and-shoot situations, which was the best in college basketball by a mile. And to give kind of perspective on that, 
Buddy Heald in college, his points per possession on unguarded catch and shoots was 1.645. And Steph Curry's last year in the NBA was 1.517. So for Neesmith to be averaging nearly two points per possession is pretty much, is pretty ridiculous. And when guarded, he was not much worse. He was still in in the 97th percentile and shooting off, coming off of screens again in the 97th percentile. So he literally every shooting statistic and category there is in terms of play type on synergy, he was amongst the very best in college basketball. Yeah. And the eye test really supports that watching the film of him. uh, I mentioned in the pod when we covered him, I really liked how he can shoot coming off screens and get the ball up quickly. And then he can shoot in tight spaces and he shoots very well. He's made a lot of threes where he's getting so much attention coming off picks and the the helper steps out on him and he's able to rise up with guys like right under him in his comfort zone and still knock down a nice percentage. And then also with him, uh, he takes very few dribbles when if he doesn't need to. It's kind of like Clay Thompson where uh, he's very, very efficient and he's looking to shoot. And if he does need to put the ball in the deck, it's just a few dribbles and he has purpose and he's getting to his spot. So yeah, he, like Sam said, the synergy profile and then watching the eye test. He's not going to continue to shoot over 50% from three, but he's six six. He's got a good body, good frame, and he can just flat out stroke the ball. So that's, that's very enticing for any team when a guy can shoot like that. And what would you say his player comparisons are? I would say probably Buddy Heald, but add two inches onto him with a little bit higher upside. So yeah, his game reminds me quite a bit of what you'll see from Buddy Heald in that just the, the stroke from the three-point line, the bodies look somewhat similar, but Neesmith is a bit bigger. So you could say he's got a little bit more potential on the defensive side of the ball. But Buddy Heald would probably be the first one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, my player comparison is more of a player like archetype, and that would be those shooters that can spot up, can come off the screens, can shoot in tight spaces, the Kyle Corvers, the J.J. Reddicks, the Clay Thompsons. Those guys can be so valuable for an NBA offense by just being a decoy and running off screens and then also being able to get threes off so easily, even contested ones, and make over 40% of them. And that is such a valuable piece in an offense that really opens up the slip screens and the rest of the – the whole rest of the offense really with the gravity they have. So any any kind of player like that, I think Neesmith uh, can compare to those guys and fill a similar role. And as you say, there's less than a 50% chance that he's available at that 17 spot. So if he's not available, are there any other two guards that you'd be looking at for the Celtics? Yeah, I know for me, I am very high on Skylar Mays out of LSU. And he's kind of a combo guard. I think he can come in and he can play two or one. Uh, But he is another phenomenal shooter. And he is a plug-and-play guy like Riller where – He's a fourth-year player. He's extremely smart. He's extremely savvy. He's got some of the best uh, highlights of anyone in this class just with his finishing ability, and he does a little bit of everything. He is a little undersized at 6'4", but I think he is uh, so versatile that he can fill that shooting guard need and also, like we talked about, then uh, give Kemba some uh, rest and respite by taking some ball handling duties as well, but 
this is a guy uh, maze that is not very uh, highly touted at this point and so i think he'll be available at 17 26 and 30 and what would you say his biggest opportunity would be on the celtics roster how many minutes do you think he'd get and where do you think he slots in in terms of the rotation I think it'd be pretty similar to what we talked about with Kyra Lewis and with Grant Riller in that he can come off the bench and play either the one or two. And he's a guy that gives off vibes of Malcolm Brogdon in terms of being 6'4", around 210, a strong body and very, very skilled. He's one of probably the five most skilled players in this draft, I'd say. And that that is saying quite a bit. But he's a very analytically friendly player too in that on a per-play basis, he got to the rim more than anybody this year in college basketball. Close to 170 attempts at the rim. He takes a lot of threes and gets to the free throw line too. So very analytically friendly player. I think he's going to be a 38 to 40% three-point shooter in the NBA. So any team in my book can use a guard that can come in, can uh, dribble the ball, you know, take some ball handling duties from Kemba when he's on the bench, as Cody stated, but also play off the ball and be that good of a shooter. And he's got decent size to guard ones, twos, and even some threes. So, yeah, he's going to be there at 26 or 30, and I think it'd be worth it. I think he can come in and play those 12 to 15 minutes off the bench at either guard position for the Celtics, even this coming year. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, I think he's a very Danny Ainge type pick. Danny Ainge, uh, he's he's taken some young players, obviously, in Tatum and Brown that are kind of no-brainers, but he does like the very seasoned, crafty, and smart college players as well. We saw it last year with Grant Williams. And I think uh, Mays kind of uh, fits that profile, and I do think Mays is a guy that will be able to play in their system right away uh, for many of the reasons Sam talked about. This last year, he slashed 49-39-85, 62% true shooting. And uh, just with his uh, smarts and his skills, he's definitely a plug-and-play guy that can give you minutes uh, from the get-go. Okay, so we're going to head to break now. When we come back, we're going to look at the two sets of forwards, and then we're going to look at the centers. So we're back. We're still with the draft dummies. We're looking at different options available to the Celtics, depending on where they're picking and who's on the board. We've looked at point guards. We've looked at two guards. So we're going to move on to small forwards. Have you guys got anyone on your list at the free spot? Yeah, so I'll start. One that comes to mind for me. And again, for me, kind of twos and threes can be interchangeable, right? Just playing on the wing. But in terms of a wing that I think would be a good pick, probably would have to be at 17, would be Josh Green out of the University of Arizona. He was a freshman this year, a pretty touted recruit. and. You know, the reason that he is such a a touted prospect is due to the physical tools that he has. He's 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. And the body that he has, the most, the closest comparison in terms of a body frame is Danny Green. And I think Danny Green is pretty much the player type that you kind of would expect Josh Green to translate into in that he's going to be a 3 and D guy. And In terms of defensive wings, he is close to the top of the class right now with Isaac Okoro and with Devin Vassell. But Josh Green is a guy that can move his feet extremely well on the perimeter. He's a strong guy at 6'6", who has the size to cover ones, twos, threes, and some fours in switching situations. 
But Cody, what else do you like about Josh Green? I think you covered him pretty well. With Josh Green, you know what you're getting. Uh, he's going to be a guy that plays his role, doesn't try and do too much, and like you said, is going to bring uh, defense. And Sam and I love to talk about uh, shooting has often the skill that makes or breaks these guys. And he showed a decent year this year, I think around 36, 37% from three. And he certainly has the potential. And that'll be the skill that he really needs to work on. Sam and I also like to say three and D is thrown around a lot, but it is actually really hard to find a guy that can do both really well. The Celtics really do have some stellar forwards on their roster. You've got Jason Tatum, Brown, Hayward, Javante Green's done a decent job plugging in holes when one of those guys aren't available. Is there any, and then Romeo Langford too, if you're going to run Romeo Langford at the three, is there any room for him to actually carve out a role on this team? Do you feel like he has a skill set that's different enough that can allow him to be plugged into this offensive system on a regular basis? That's a really good question. And it's something Sam and I talk about a lot is, I know uh, I am very much with Brad Stevens when he says basketball is kind of positionless. I know that Jason Tatum, according to basketball reference, technically spent like almost the whole year playing the four, but he is a wing. And I even go all the way up to the two guard where even with Marcus Smart, I kind of view it as four out, one in, in the modern NBA today. And whatever number or label you want to throw on these guys, uh, it doesn't make a difference to me. They're playing the perimeter and depending on their coach and their system and their skill level, they're getting the ball in spots to, to be successful and have a chance to create. And so the Celtics, like you said, are very deep. I'm not sure how they view Romeo Langford going forward, but he certainly got a lot of potential, was a highly touted high school recruit and has a great NBA frame. And so hopefully he can continue to approve. Sam also likes to say, and I'm with him, you just can't have too many wings. And I think uh, if Ainge really does like a wing, I think he's going to add him. Even if it means, you know, trading a guy down the road, he's going to add that value to his roster and just have another chip to play. So I, I agree. I think we'd all agree that they need to fill some other spots uh, first, but you can never have too many wings. And if you like one, then I think it's worth taking a chance on him. Yeah, the Celtics' greatest roster strength right now, I think, is their versatility. And that's what you get when you have so many great wings. They bring such versatility to you in terms of the style that you want to play, lineups that you want to play, and just future roster construction. And you can play so many of them at a time that, yeah, as Cody said, to me, you can never have enough wings. And I'm high on all the wings that they have right now. And I would say to just go ahead and and add another one, especially if they're going to be making all three of these picks in the first round. I'd be totally fine taking a wing with one of them. We'll see if the Celtics end up packaging their picks. But, but for me, yeah, I, I'm totally fine taking another wing, especially a year from now when uh, Hayward has that player option coming up for next year. But when he's off the books, I think that would be a time when Josh Green would provide some much-needed depth in the wing rotation. So for this season, would you expect to see him trade in time with Romeo down in Maine? Yeah, I think that is pretty safe to say. I I compare him pretty closely in terms of the development trajectory and the point that they're at right now to Romeo Langford. I think for sure Josh Green can come in and defend at above an average level uh, in terms of NBA wings. That is a plug-and-play ability. 
And yeah, we just have to see how well his shot translates right away. I think he is a good playmaker, especially in the open court too. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's right there, um, kind of with Langford, as you said. Probably not going to be a guy playing uh, 15 minutes right away, but we that'd be something you just have to see depending on how the shot comes around uh, as a rookie. So that's been one of my biggest discussion points over the last probably six months is somebody like Romeo with such a high ceiling and undeniable talent kind of has a roadblock in front of him due to the amount of stars that are playing his position on the team. My concern would be there adding another guy with a similar ceiling, a similar type of talent level, and then not only having Romeo being blocked into a, con- a place to contend for a first team spot, but then having this new wing added into the team to then have to not only get past Romeo, but then get past the same hurdles that Romeo's facing. So it's interesting to see that some of the best talent the Celtics could get might be in a position where they're already stacked. Yeah, another guy at the three. Yeah, so another wing that's come up with Sam and I that will probably be available is Elijah Hughes out of Syracuse. He's 6'6", 215. He's got the NBA tools. He is a little bit older at 22 years old, but he's splashed a lot of skill. He finished 73% at the rim this year. Uh, he shot 34%, which was down from last year, which was 37, but that's from three, but he was doing it at over seven a game and also has shown some really advanced shot creation. And so he's another uh, enticing wing that I think will be available then and definitely has uh, some enticing skills. Yeah, just to follow up with that is that at Syracuse, and Syracuse is known as a team that just isolates a ton on offense, right? And Elijah Hughes was tasked with doing a lot and probably too much of that. In fact, he ranked as taking the fourth most isolation possessions per game in the country last year. And so the hope with him is that you kind of scale that back, kind of slot him into a similar three and D role in that, because in just straight up spot up situations, he was in the 85th percentile. He was very, very good last year. He's got deep range. He's got a step back jump shot and he's got decent vision uh, when he's asked to create some. So the hope is there that he can be a three and D guy with a little bit extra playmaking and the defense with him was hard to scout because he's playing in a zone at Syracuse, right? But one fun nugget with him is that he blocked 11 jump shots last year, which was the second most in D1. So he's got solid strength and solid length uh, at 6'6 for a wing and posted a decent block rate as well last year. But kind of fits into that similar thing you're talking about where there is a bit of a roadblock, but I always just stick to the to you can never have enough wings. And I know that is a bit of a roadblock and it's hard for them all to get playing time right now, but I really think you can play up to four wings at a time. So if you're looking for a wing, uh, if you're the Celtics at the end of the first round, I think Hughes is a worthy prospect. And when we're looking at him, how do we view him in terms of player comparisons, in terms of minutes as well? What, where, How would he get plugged in? I've, I, I, you've just mentioned you see him in a similar trajectory as Romeo, where it's going to be roadblocks. Are we, is it another case of a very talented player spending time in the G League due to a lack of opportunity? But what's his ceiling? What would the Celtics be looking for him to kind of attain long-term in terms of skill level? I think he's got lower of a ceiling than Josh Green in that he's not the athlete that Josh Green is. 
quite to that level in terms of speed and just the vertical jump. And he's also older than Green. But at this point, he's more skilled. He is definitely a better shot taker and shot maker. And I think he's ready to come in and contribute on the defensive side of the ball, as well as just to spread the floor on offense and provide some secondary or tertiary creation or pick and roll ability. So I do think he can find a spot in the lineup. I mean, I think he can guard some fours due to his strength, especially if they're going to be switching. And yeah, I mean, if you view this as an issue in terms of just being a roadblock of too many wings, then maybe you don't pick him. But if the Celtics are looking for him, a wing at the end of the first round, I do think that he is worthy of taking. I do think he does have the skill and he is a plug and play guy to come in and play that 12 to 15 minutes off the bench right away as a rookie. And I'd say he's probably more ready to play than Josh Green or Langford, but that is obviously not completely known at this point. Just uh, my personal opinion that I do think he would be worthy of that 26th or 30th pick that the Celtics have. Well, moving on to fours, do you have anyone who can play the power forward position on this list? Yeah, go ahead, Sam. I'll let you uh, take this one. Yeah, so the first guy that sticks out to me would be Paul Reed. And with him, you can debate whether he's going to be a four or five at the next level. Uh, He's mostly listed as a four, but I think Cody and I view him more as a five. Again, to Cody and I, we kind of view it as positionless basketball and, you know, most teams prefer kind of the four out one in at this point. So he's more of kind of a versatile center, I would say. But the reason that he is often listed as a four is because he does have athletic upside and defensive versatility in that he can guard multiple positions. So Paul Reed's 6'10", probably about 220 with a 7'2 wingspan. And the biggest positive attribute about him speaking from a statistical point of view, is that he posted a 9.4 block rate and a 3.3 steal rate, which are crazy, crazy high. And for a big to have that combo of a block and steal rate in college is pretty, pretty rare. On top of that, DePaul was a pretty bad team this year, and they were 20 points per 100 possessions worse with him when he was off the court. So he really helped to make a pretty bad team solid enough this year and combine that with the the uh, playmaking in terms of blocks and steals that he was able to put up it was a pretty solid statistical profile that uh, he displayed this last year at DePaul. So the Celtics are a little bit more thin when we're talking about fours and fives it's been a position that that multiple people have spoke about throughout the season especially with you saying he's interchangeable between four and five and with Guys like Vincent Poirier failing to impress. The jury's still out on Ennis Cantor. Realistically, at the moment, they're looking at Daniel Tice, that they still need to sort out his contract situation going into next season. Robert Williams and Grant Williams. Do you feel like he could come in and make an instant impact? Could he be spending regular minutes coming off the bench for this team? Sam and I definitely, this is where we part on Paul Reed, where uh, I, well, I guess I don't know how Sam feels about him, his rookie season on a roster like the Celtics, but... Uh, I really like Paul Reed as a prospect. I just don't see him ready to consistently contribute. I think you might run into some Robert Williams problems where just consistently, uh, mentally, especially on the defensive end, it's just not going to be there. I've been well on record saying this, that I just get a lot of Jordan Bell vibes 
from Paul Reed where I don't know if he's going to be a, a high-level thinker and a constant motor guy, which would make it really hard to play for the Celtics. Yeah, that's – it's interesting, right? For sure, I would – I think Grant Williams and obviously Daniel Tice right away are definitely better players. I would be interested to hear, Adam, your thoughts on how the team views Robert Williams and Poirier in terms of the coming years, that the role they expect those guys to fill. I do think that um, Paul Reed definitely has a higher upside than Poirier and probably similar upside to what Robert Williams has, though those guys really haven't matched the defensive stats that Paul Reed has put up. And on top of that, uh, we haven't really mentioned Paul Reed offensively, but he has flashed some pretty impressive I'd say it's more flashes at this point offensively. So he offensively is still raw, but he shows some comfort handling the ball. He can take pull-ups. He has shown some grab-and-go uh, potential. But at this point, it's mostly still raw and still flashes. But he is an athlete. At 6'10", he's got a pretty live body with quick twitch uh, athleticism and just displays coordination that you usually don't see for a guy that size. So for me, kind of a comparison might be a little bit bigger. Thad Young is kind of the closest guy I can think of. And yeah, as Cody said, the defensive mindset, the defensive positioning, and the defensive awareness was a mixed bag last year, which when you think about the stats that he was able to put up last year with just uh, that average IQ and positioning leads you to believe, at least to me, that there might be even more upside but in terms of him contributing on a playoff team next year, I, I would not say that he would be above, um, you know, a Grant Williams in the rotation, for example. So you mentioned you'd be interested in seeing what Celtics fans feel about Vincent Poirier and Rob Williams. So if I start there. So with Vincent Poirier, my general consensus when speaking to fans and when looking at him is Brad Stevens tends to redshirt European guys on their first season he'll give them spot minutes but it's very unlikely you're going to see them given anything meaningful it was very similar with Daniel Tice I think Tice did play considerably more than Poirier but it was still spot minutes and then we started to see Tice get slowly phased into the rotation the more he got used to the way the NBA worked personally I don't think Poirier's a Celtics type of big he doesn't stretch the floor he doesn't offer much else outside of vertical spacing and rebounding and they're getting that from Ennis Cantor anyway less vertical spacing but far more rebounding I don't feel like he'll be on that roster after next season if they don't strike put him in a deal to move some move out move up in the draft or try and obtain somebody more feasible for what they're trying to do Rob Williams is different a lot of fans view him as one of the bigs for the future he showed really good flashes of passing out of the short roll this season Definitely shown his ability as a shot blocker and rim protector. He just needs to learn when to bite on when to bite on shots and when to kind of stay grounded and make sure he's keeping in front of his man. The injury troubles are what puts the big question around him. He's struggled to stay healthy and stand the floor both of his seasons in the pros. If you're saying Paul Reed can come in and have a similar defensive impact and slowly start showing flashes of offensive game then I feel like the Celtics will take a look at him. Grant Williams, for me, projects as a glue guy. He's a bigger version of Marcus Smart, happy on the court, always talking, defensively focused. When you're saying Reed's shown flashes, and I may have missed this, so if I did, I apologise. 
but what's he been like shooting from deep? How's he operating out of the short roll as well? Because Brad likes to have his guys kind of screen and then slip short to then catch a guy cutting in from the corners. He does that quite regularly. So the flashes that he's shown is he's shown some advanced handle moves, but it's still a pretty loose handle, I'd say. He's shown decent vision, but again, it's just flashes. The main thing with him is that he's shown like pretty impressive coordination for his size in terms of pretty impressive sidesteps and Euro steps, ability to just strip smaller guys at the ball and just make athletic plays that you wouldn't really expect for a guy his size. Um, he's shown the ability to take kind of floaters on the short roll and make plays in small, in small windows, kind of what you're talking about in terms of the short roll. But as you're talking about Robert Williams, and I was pretty high on Robert Williams coming into the draft, is the ironic thing there is they're kind of in similar situations to me where when you're talking about he needs to improve at not biting on the shot fakes, he needs to improve at refining his offensive game, and just being consistent, those are pretty much the same worries that you kind of have with Paul Reed. And I don't know, Cody, if you kind of feel the same way as you heard that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you summarized it great. And those are the concerns I have. And I don't think, uh, especially this for this next year, that Reed is a pick that's really moving the needle. And I know it's hard to find a pick that moves the needle at 26 or 30 or even 17. Uh, but yeah, long-term too, uh, I don't know if they're answering many questions with Reed. If he does reach his ceiling, then yeah, I mean, his potential is amazing. I just don't see it happening. And then we start looking at the final type of player. We start looking at bigs. Do you have any bigs available? Any fives? Any guys that really stand out to you? Yeah, so this is where I think uh, most people would agree that the Celtics need to fill their biggest need, and that's at the center spot. Being in the East to make a finals run, they got to get by Embiid. They got to get by uh, Giannis and Brooke Lopez. And right now, they just don't have a lot of size and versatility, athleticism, uh, not a lot of rim protection. So at 17, a guy that they could potentially go with would be Jalen Smith. He is out of Maryland. He's got good size. He's 6'10", 6'11", has great length. Uh, but I don't think he would be ready to contribute right away. He would be a project kind of like with Reed where he has some awesome tools, but the consistency just isn't always there. But the really, really enticing thing about Jalen Smith is he projects as a rim protecting three point shooting five. He shot really well while at Maryland uh, shooting from three. He slashed 54, 37, 75 this year with 60, over 62% true shooting and has shown some awesome uh, deft on his three-point shot, catching off even some screens sometimes, trailing as a five and spotting up. He can get the shot off quick and it's smooth. So he is a very, very enticing pick and his ceiling, his best outcome would be a Miles Turner type where he does a great job of protecting the rim and uh, affecting shots and then stretching the floor on the other end and just filling his role and not doing too much other else than that. So do you see him as a guy that would be more pro as a project for how many seasons do you think it'd take him to catch up with the NBA game? Because bigs tend to develop a lot slower. That's notorious. You expect that when you're drafting a big guy. Yeah, I agree. And especially defensively, 
And this is where I get really torn on Jalen Smith too, because he wasn't always there uh, each possession after possession after possession. And so you would hope with playing for a coach like Brad Stevens and having some of those uh, guys in the locker room that hopefully could influence him to really, really uh, focus on the defensive end and help him realize that that's where he's going to get playing time. And that's how he's going to make money is if he becomes a very good rim protector. He has a frame. He has the physical tools right now. Uh, it would kind of remind me of the video I saw of Mo Bamba playing Joel Embiid one-on-one before that draft. And Bamba just looked like a baby deer compared to Embiid and was just getting put in the hoop. I don't know if Jalen Smith is ready to bang with guys at that caliber yet, He, but he certainly has the frame to fill out and uh, become a good defensive player. And I will say that the improvement that Jalen Smith made between his freshman and sophomore years was pretty impressive. And and that leads me to believe that he does like the game, that he loves basketball and he's a hard worker. He's willing to put in that work. And so for example, he's put on reportedly about 30 pounds of muscle since arriving at Maryland. Like his nickname is Sticks because coming in, especially to college, he was way too skinny and he's really improved on on uh, just his body and his physique. And then the other thing that sticks out was that he went through the draft process last year and the feedback that he received was that he needed to become a better shooter. And so he went back as a sophomore and he did that. So after shooting just 26.8% from three as a freshman uh, this year in Big Ten league play, he shot over 41%. And as Cody said, he even flashed some versatility in terms of Uh, one dribble pull-up shooting and uh, he's able to be a trailer coming in on the second break where he's able to hit that trailer three and just spotting up from the perimeter kind of like a Brooke Lopez or Miles Turner that potential to be a unicorn big where you're able to protect the paint and space the floor is very 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 valuable and so that's kind of the hope and kind of the upside with him. So you've mentioned that he's a Floor stretching rim protector. Now, when I think back over the last few years of players that have came out of the draft that have kind of had that tag to them, one of the names that comes to me where it could all go wrong is Frank Kaminsky. We all remember Jordan's love of Frank Kaminsky, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like there's a possibility that Jalen could end up like that? Do you feel like that that's his ceiling? Is it his floor or are they completely different in terms of skill set? They're completely different in terms of skill set. Jalen Smith is... Definitely. Well, he's a better athlete for sure vertically and can move a little bit better than Kaminsky on the perimeter. Uh, and I think he's probably a better shooter. Kaminsky is, he was a good shooter in college, but certainly is disappointed there um, in the NBA. For me, kind of the worry with him would be that the physicality doesn't, doesn't develop enough and he doesn't move quite well enough on the perimeter. And so he could be maybe a slightly worse version of a Mo Bamba in terms of his floor but the upside there in terms of potentially being kind of a Miles Turner floor spacer maybe a Jaron Jackson Jr. uh, in that mold that is just very enticing in terms of the upside and so yeah I, I think those are probably closer comparisons in terms of a floor and ceiling for me. Yeah and I agree But I do want to be clear that Jalen Smith physically is definitely closer to Jaron Jackson than Mo Bamba. 
Mo Bamba was just very, very outmatched at the NBA level athletically and physically. Uh, so while Jalen Smith does need to improve, uh, he certainly isn't in the class as Bamba. But yeah, like Sam said, and like I've said, physicality is going to be huge for him. And then just consistently buying in on defense and not taking possessions off. I know in the MSU game this year, uh, I'm not sure what the game plan was going in and if Smith was told to do some drop coverage on some uh, pick and rolls, but he would, his man Tillman would set a screen for Cassius Winston and uh, Smith would just sag off and let Cassius Winston, one of the best shooters in the country, just walk right into wide open dribble jumpers. And so Again, I don't know if they, for some reason, were telling was telling Smith to drop coverage on Cassius Winston, but it happened over and over, and he was just giving up buckets. And so he, it's the physicality and then just the effort and the commitment on defense. Uh, those are going to be his, his big question marks. If you're telling me he's, got a, he's closer to Triple J in physicality and there's no chance of him ending up like Kaminsky, it sounds like he might be worth a flyer, especially given that you know he's going to be a project and Brad Stevens has got a track record of stamping out defensive inadequacies and lack of preparation would probably be the best word to use there, lack of defensive preparation. So with your final selection, we'll call it, is there another big man that you feel that could kind of slot into this rotation that could make at least make this team a little bit more solid on the five? Or is it all on Jalen Rose to make that happen in the big man picks I don't know why I keep losing my wording um yeah so kind of following up what Cody was just talking about playing against Michigan State to me my favorite guy here for the Celtics would probably be Xavier Tillman in terms of being able to come in and contribute right away and so going back to kind of your question about playing in this system in terms of being able to pass on the short roll be able to finish potentially on the roll as well and being versatile defensively uh, I think Xavier Tillman is one of the best in the class and he's ready to come in and contribute right away phenomenal defensive player and made such a huge difference for Michigan State last year according to pivot analysis had one of the biggest on-off differentials in the country Uh, just a great player that he is undersized and he has played three years in college he's only 6'8 but his ability to finish around the rim, he's got great touch, can play on the short roll. He is a very, very good defender. He is definitely the prototypical kind of modern big that I think teams are looking for or at least should look for. But Cody, what are your kind of thoughts on Xavier Tillman and his potential fit there? I love Tillman, smart basketball player. I love those older uh, college veterans. Uh, he is a plug and play guy, I believe. And he'd be able to uh, carve out some playing time in the front court for the Celtics as it is now. I don't know how much he'll help uh, in playoff basketball at this point against, you know, the Embiid and some of the bigger guys. Uh, I would love Tillman so much more if he was a little bit taller, but yeah, no, he's at 26 or 30. You're not going to get, you know, that Al Horford type center, uh, especially the first year. And so Tillman, uh, when considering the rest of the guys available at that time of the draft, I think would be a great pick. And if you had to say between Jalen and Tillman, which one of those two do you think would fit better with the Celtics' actual offensive schemes and defensive schemes? 
I think you can always fit in a guy that can space the floor. So it's really not that difficult to fit in a Jalen Smith. But I really like Tillman's ability to play in the short role and finish at the hoop. And then I think he's more versatile defensively, especially at this point in his career. Uh, I would say that I think Jalen Smith has maybe higher upside in terms of his peak potential. What he could reach could be a little bit more meaningful. But if you're looking for a guy to contribute maybe in the next two years, I think I would lean Xavier Tillman. Yeah, no question for me that Tillman is more ready now, but that Jalen Smith has the higher upside. Tillman, like Sam said, on the short roll or DHOs, he has a little more smarts and creation ability than Smith does right now. But again, Smith's uh, potential to protect the rim and affect shots and then also stretch the floor, knock down threes. And then Smith has shown some signs of good passing. He will have to improve. He's certainly not a guy that you can run the pick and roll and throw him the ball in the short roll and he's going to make the right decision depending on the defensive coverage every time. But so, yeah, Tillman is would definitely be the more readily available uh, contributor right now. But Smith certainly has uh, much more upside, in my opinion. And this is where we get interesting now. We've gone through every position. We've basically had two players at each position that you guys think that could either elevate or consolidate the Celtics rotation. Now let's do, we'll ask Sam first, then we'll go to Cody. Your ideal three picks in the first round for the Celtics. Okay, so at 17, that's pretty easy for me. That would be Kyra Lewis if you were available at 17 um, in terms of being able to contribute at both guard spots and then be on that timeline with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. He's going to be top five or six on my board. And so if he makes it there to 17, that is the ideal pick. And then at 26 and 30, uh, if you're leaning to get guys that are ready to contribute right now, the guys that come to mind for me would be Xavier Tillman and then Skylar Mays. Uh, In terms of guys that I think are realistically going to be available at that point, going 26, Tillman and 30 Skylar Mays. I think all those guys can con- come in and contribute right away. And uh, Cody and I are definitely higher on Skylar Mays than, than, than the consensus, but I definitely think he's an NBA player and certainly worthy uh, of that 30th pick. And I think he would probably be my ideal pick for them there at 30. What about you, Cody? Yeah, so at 17, uh, obviously this can go a lot of different ways. And Sam and I, for the sake of the podcast, you know, we talked about some guys we liked at each spot. But depending on how the draft unfolds, that would change everything. And there are other players that could fill some of these needs. But I think if 17, if Kyra Lewis is still there, uh, again, I'm with Sam. It's just my personal evaluation of him. I think he's going to be the best player available if he's there at 17. Uh, No one else is going to have – the upside that he does. So, and it fills a need uh, of that backup uh, ball handler role right now. And then the timeline of, you know, in the future for the next five, seven years. So I like Kyra Lewis there. If Jalen Smith, uh, I've seen him all over the place too. And I think someone is going to bite on him early because of that uh, rim protection, three point shot potential. So I don't think he'll be there at 26. So uh, I also, if, if they take Kyra Lewis at 17, at 26, I like a guy like Tillman. I like a guy like Paul Reed if they want to take that chance on him. I know Daniel Oturu's getting some looks. 
for me, I think he's going to end up being kind of another canter, a good rebounder and finisher, but not bring uh, much else. So at 26, uh, I could see them feeling uh, taking a chance on a big like Paul Reed. And then 30, I would go with Skylar Mays. I think he's just going to be a really, really solid NBA player for a long time who's going to have some versatility and uh, be able to contribute to winning and uh, be a culture guy and just a guy you want in the in the locker room. So if Mays is there at 30, a lot higher than he's being projected, that would be my pick. I'm going to go back and change right now. I forgot. Grant, <laughs> I, 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 I'd take Grant Riller over Skylar Mays. And then also, just as a side note, uh, Aaron Neesmith is like 1B to Kyra Lewis is 1A. So that pretty much wraps us up. I mean, you gave the listeners, what's that, 10? Pretty much 10 players that they can monitor. And then if they're interested in finding out about other prospects, then obviously you, how often do you release your podcast? Uh, once a week about. And we usually do three prospects uh, in each podcast and break them down in depth. And we have minute markers for each of the prospects. So you can just go into our episode descriptions, click on that prospect and hear their segment uh, in depth. So, yep, you can find all of that on either Spotify or Apple, wherever you find your podcasts. And if people want to follow you on social media, where are they finding you? At Draft Dummies uh, on Twitter, just at Draft Dummies. That's where we're at on Twitter. And uh, that's we're most active on Twitter. We do have an Instagram, but we don't do a lot of content there. So follow us on Twitter and yeah, check us out on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, thank you guys for jumping on. Um, it's been really inf- informative. So you've mentioned a few names that I haven't got around to diving into yet. I'm going to be loading up Synergy once this calls over, once this podcast is over and do- deep diving into some of these guys, most notably Tillman. Um, oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, thanks for having us on Adam. We really appreciate it. And we love talking hoops and, yeah, we appreciate your time and having us on your show. Oh, for sure. And once the draft actually happens, whenever that may be, then we'll definitely do this again and get your like your breakdowns of who the Celtics actually picked and what you envision their first season being like. Yeah, absolutely. We would love that. We're always down to talk hoops. Awesome. Well, thank you again, guys. And guys, if you're listening, make sure to check them out. Make sure to hit that subscribe button on while on this podcast, if it's your first time listening, and definitely on theirs as well. There's definitely some great content they're putting out they're getting big quite quick as well i mean you've only done how many episodes i think we've done 10 now so we're pretty new but it is going very well and we definitely appreciate all the support so thanks to uh, our listeners and thanks again for having us on anytime man